Good afternoon and welcome to, well, I should say good afternoon or good evening whenever you happen to be listening. Uh, Welcome to the American Age podcast. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about anger. I'm C. Travis Webb and I'm speaking with... Seth Rodney. Who happened? Who just at that moment was taking a drink? So I, bad timing on my part. <laughs> um, so uh, this week's topic, uh, Seth uh, suggested for uh, reasons that are probably entirely obvious to people that live in the United States or probably in most we- developed Western countries, uh, people are really mad about everything. Um, so Seth, why don't you lead us into that? I am really interested in public discourse. I think in some ways I've always been interested in how we talk to each other, not what we say necessarily, but how we say it. I don't think that I would have been able to say this when I was in my 20s. I think when I was in my 30s, I began to be more cognizant of this issue being crucial to me. I think part of it a part of the reason for that is that I'm actually a rather fragile soul. I think that the ways that people have spoken to me throughout my life, when they've treated me with derision or with scorn, or have conversely treated me with, with honor and with caring, I think that those distinctions are really powerful to me. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they have something to do with the way that I feel about my position in the world. They mm-hmm. inflect how mm-hmm. I feel about where I am and where I belong. Yeah, we see ourselves through others for sure. Indeed, indeed. But more than that, Because I'm so tied to language, and we've talked about this Mm -hmm. over the years, how when I kind of came into a sense of who I am, I really did so through poetry initially. Mm -hmm. It was falling in love with Sylvia Plath and Mm -hmm. realizing that this woman who had a life that was almost 360 degrees, almost 180 degrees (laughs) 360 is a full circle, right. 180 <laughs> degrees away from me. Yet she wrote work that sounded to me like she was speaking my own life. Mm-hmm. I came into a sense of who I was really through poetry. And Sylvia Plath was one of the key figures in that process. So I'm really tied to language. I'm attuned to it. I'm careful about it. And I value it. And one of the things that I've noticed is the level of anger and vitriol and scorn and outright contempt that has colored our public discourse since I've since I've grown up in the States is worrisome would be the word I'd use. Um it's it's no, it's actually more than worrisome. It's, it makes me kind of despair. Actually. Yeah. So um, I don't want to. I don't want to veer off topic, and this is not veering off topic. But it does make me think of um, a, a conversation I had with um, a. I think she was a professor of African studies. Uh, 
at South, and it was in North Carolina at Charlotte, so University of North okay. Carolina. Okay. And uh, she was an African American woman, uh, and wore her African Americanness like you know, yes. like a badge. You know, yes. I mean, like sort of Af- traditional African garb and everything. Very, yes. very with it. Very cool. Um, and she uh, told a story about this. Is his post election, obviously, um, which I feel like we always re- sort of reference in um, in absentia. We we reference the 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 Obama slash Trump years. Um, for Because it's our World War II, actually. It is. And, and, right? And, yes. And, but for, for very good reasons. We don't want it. I mean, you and I have kind of discussed this ahead of time, not wanting to head down that rabbit hole. But mm-hmm. she was expressing her, um, not dismay, as, as most of my um, um, black Mexican, uh, you know, sort of, othered friends that I know weren't really all that shocked that uh, the election went to Trump. This was not something. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the funny Saturday Night Live skit with Dave Chappelle and um, sort of uh, as everyone was dismayed at, at the election results. Anyway, um, she talked about the difference in um, expression. And what she was deeply suspicious of is the kind of gentility the racist gentility of someone like a Jeff Sessions or something like that. Now, Mm. whether whether Sessions is or is not a racist, I'm not really interested in that conversation today. Mm -hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. him. But Mm -hmm. so in the way that – and I'll I'll bring us back to your point. In the way in which people will put forth an argument that's – that's something along the lines of, well, at least I know where Donald Trump stands. At least I know mm. where Jeff Sessions stands. At least I know who mm. David Duke is, right? Mm-hmm. Not to say all these people are the same, but you hear this said about them. Um, mm-hmm. I am so entirely on your side of what I would perceive that argument to be. It mm. actually matters. It matters that – we deal with one or with one another in a civil way, mm-hmm. and that it actually is demonstrably worse to air your ugliest prejudices in an unfiltered way. It's mm-hmm. not an expression of who you truly are. There is no sort mm-hmm. of stable sense of there is no stable self in that way i don't believe mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that we are practicing anger mm-hmm. we are we are perfecting our anger we are becoming experts at outrage and that no i i clearly you can mask evil intent with gentility clearly you can mask uh, misogyny and racism and homophobia with polite language. I, I'm mm-hmm. not uh, – of course I'm opposed to that, right? Mm-hmm. B- but in civil society, to deal with one another respectfully, cordially, to pay recognition to another person's life experience is mm-hmm. indispensable to a civil society continuing to endure. And mm-hmm. without that, uh, mm-hmm. I really think it all – it puts at risk every other aspect of civil society that we depend on. So what I'm coming to understand right now is that 
I kind of think we need like two hours to talk about this <laughs> because there are several things that are coming up at the same time that I want to discuss with you. And they're not, none of them are sort of easy conversations or quick. Okay, so let's pick one today quips. and we'll continue next week. Sounds good. So a couple of things that you said that uh, resonate with me. One is that we perfect anger. I think we actually think that being angry is a kind of strength. Mm. And I'm very mindful mm -hmm. of something that happened to me last year when I wrote a piece, a really intimate and actually quite loving piece about an artist named Sean Leonardo, who I don't know that he's still doing this piece, but he, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a performance artist. Mm -hmm. So he puts himself live in, in a, in a, in a space and there's and a temporal, there's a temporal aspect to his art. So he's not just like installed somewhere. Precisely, precisely. And he's moving and doing things. Mm -hmm. And this particular piece that he had devised, he'd done previously really deeply emotionally resonant for me mm. and important. Basically, it was a kind of class on what to do when, if you are a person of color, and this is specifically geared towards people of color, mm -hmm. you are snatched up by the police mm. and they put you in a chokehold, what to do to survive. Oh, so literally, man. No so shit. literally, yes. Wow. So I like, you know, I think about that and like tears already start to come to my eyes. And he shows how to like block a punch, uh, move someone's arm aside, run away. Um, how when you're put in a chokehold, to pull the arm down, pull, tuck your chin so that you can get space to breathe, so on and so forth. That's, I think I want to say that that's actually wrong. You should turn your head to the left or right. Are you being serious? I am completely, actually. So I mean, this is from years of, yeah, obviously, you know, my background. But yeah, because it takes, uh, you choke off someone's, uh, you can knock someone out in about three seconds. So you want to turn your head to the left or right. And you can create space in the crook of the arm by digging your chin into the left or right as opposed to down. Because that is okay. towards a, uh, the point of strength. So if someone has you in a chokehold. Uh, you're fighting like kind of the direct angle of their force by trying to pull down. So right. you want to turn left or right and dig your right. chin in. That buys you probably well, 20 or 30 seconds. Right. Well, what his point was, I think, and I don't know where he got the technique from, but his point was you do it in a kind of jerk motion mm, so okay. that it doesn't, okay. it's, it's not like, it's not like you're fighting it sort of tooth and nail all the way through. You sort of jerk the arm down, quickly tuck your chin, and that gives you at least uh. some time to like, you know, breathe. I buy that. So, okay. Buy that. Right. So he, so he did the thing. And afterwards, there was a sort of post-event talk with some activists who were from the neighborhood. Mm. And these people led by an artist I know. And by neighborhood, you mean Bel Air. No, <laughs> you're, you're funny. The, the South Bronx, not too far from where I live. Uh, there were three people and two of them I knew. One, an artist I'd, I'd known from various things and one other person I'd actually interviewed a year before because she took part in a protest that I covered for Hyperallergic. Mm. And the third person I didn't know. But the first person spoke, the artist, um, and I'm not going to name them because I just, I don't actually want to reignite that 
flame war. She, I think, was contemptuous of people in the audience. And I thought that the second woman who followed her was even more contemptuous. Mm. There was a way in which she spoke, where she spoke from this place of anger. Mm -hmm. And clearly for her, she thought that anger was a strength for her, was a power, was a tool. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that they reminded me of supporters of the current president. Mm -hmm. And that really set them off. They mm -hmm. came after me on Facebook, on Twitter. Really? They, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they actually pressured Sean Leonardo to denounce me. This Basically, is, this is on... the artist. The Sean Leonardo is the artist, the performance uh -huh, artist. Right? Uh -huh. okay, yeah. yeah, and you should read the piece. I mean, I, I really do think it's one of the more feeling pieces I've written. Everyone should go read the and piece. Hyperallergic, Seth Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Leonardo. Um, he... He even thanked me for the piece, and he said that it was touching and lovely, and he was really moved by it. But after the art, the activist leaned on him after I said, and I and I and I and I and I, and I didn't go into detail about what I thought about them. I said that they reminded me of current supporters of the president because they seem to come from this place of ignorance and this place of of pride in their. Um, position as outsiders and mm. this contempt of others, la, la, la. Uh, he, Sean went on Facebook and said, uh, essentially, everyone I shared this piece with, please take it down. I have to disavow this because I thought uh, that what Seth did what was a bitch. Irres irresponsible. Yeah, it was awful. And it made me feel really bad. And I had to deal with the stress of all that while I was actually traveling. Sean um, Leonardo, you're a coward. You should not have done that. Well... Well, I mean, you know, I I disagreed with him doing that. I, what I what I where I ended up was, I'm still supportive of his work. I think his work is strong. I don't like that. But here's the thing. Here's yeah, the let point. me it can, so to amend that quickly. The act was coward mm -hmm. cowardly. I, I myself yeah, have done fair. cowardly things, so it's not. Yeah, I don't fair mean enough, to. Right. So you want to impugn Sean? Yeah. Right. Here's the thing. The anger that they had for me, mm. and we're ostensibly in the same family, and I get that members of your own family, you're more, you're, you feel more empowered to be angry at, mm -hmm. or to, mm -hmm. to, to, to manifest that anger mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And I said this to Sean, actually, when we had a phone call, or we exchanged messages somehow, I think I was in charge at the time, I think maybe it was email, I said, they're so phenomenally angry. Do you not see how this is not working for them? Because they, they claim to be representative of the people, mm -hmm. of, of, of an underclass, of an oppressed mm -hmm. group. But their main tools are not actually social organization or political organization or finding ways in to get their agenda accomplished. Their main tools are protest. Mm -hmm. And so... I am suspicious of that. And I feel like that moment, that debacle, made me even more aware of how mean-spirited and ill-advised our public mm. discourse tends to be. Because what we want to do, what they wanted to do when they felt insulted and harmed, was anyone to reach out to me and have me explain or, ha mm. or engage me and find a way to have me 
turn that around, maybe saying something, sub, write something subsequent saying, maybe I was wrong about this. What they wanted to do was they wanted to silence me. Mm-hmm. They wanted to get out the tar and feathers mm-hmm. and set me on fire and send me mm-hmm. out of the town mm-hmm. and out of their sight mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Like, when did this become typical for us? Um, so I had a... a um, another response, but you asked me a direct question. So um, when did it become typical for us? Probably there is no moment that it became acceptable to uh, disregard people in civil society in such a perfunctory way. But Mm. um, I do think that the I mean, one thing we can't lose or we shouldn't lose sight of in sort of navigating the 21st century or 21st century America is how identity was constructed in this country for hmm. 200 plus years. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of very solid uh, academic work. And I don't mean, you know, sort of fringy cultural theory, but I mean like solid historical research. Mm-hmm. Uh, Furstenberg is uh, uh, in the name of the father. Um, I don't remember his first name, but that identity, like what it meant to be a free American, what it meant to be a free participating member of civil society mm. was to be a white male. Now, I, I mean, as you know, in our discussion, I, I mean, I really, one of the things I want to try and accomplish with the American age is, is finding a way for us to move past those shoals. Uh, but we can't move mm-hmm, past mm-hmm. them until we've come to terms with them. And mm-hmm. th- that, that dismissal of the other was something mm-hmm. that was done easily and out of hand. Mm-hmm for hundreds of years in this country mm-hmm. if you didn't look mm-hmm. like me you weren't heard no right. no 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 one gave a shit what you had to say right right you weren't worth you weren't worth listening to yeah i mean there's the famous uh, i mean it's one of those apocryphal stories i actually i'll i'll look it up after we're done with the podcast and actually put it in the uh in the errata section but um the you know native american needing to prove that he was a human by bringing him before congress and having him cry so this is one of those Jesus anecdotal Christ. stories that i've heard true oh so so let's just bracket the the truth the fact the facticity of that um, uh, do you doubt it? I don't doubt that. Like, I, I no, mean, it's, no, I mean it is, it's one of those not things where like, yeah, okay. I believe that definitely there were a bunch of wig wearing crackers that like oh, absolutely yeah. like oh, needed yeah. you to come perform your humanity for them in some sort right. of perverse menstruelcy. Right. So, right. Yeah, I believe that. Now, you know, we'll look it up and I'll look it up and see if it's accurate or not. And, and you know, and, and, and I can I'm happy to correct the record. Um, but 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 we both agree that this, the circumstances were such that such an action would not be strange right. in such a context. <laughs> right. right. And so right. I wonder, you know, I think there's two ways that we can come at this problem of, of kind of the, the state of civil society in America. 
Okay. One is the broader historical story, and two is uh, sort of the individual story of what brought these two women to express their opinions in this way, what brought this artist to respond in that way. Um, and, and I want to, and I, I just, sorry, I, please remember what you're going to say, but I need to just no jump in, jump in here and say that it's important that I'm not just talking about people on the quote unquote left. And we do need to do a podcast on what that means, but I am reminded too of what Dana Loesch did for the NRA in her mm. ad mm. that basically said people on the left are all devils and we need to smash them with the fist of quote unquote truth. Mm. Um, which, which to a reasonable person I think sounded like we need to take up arms against these motherfuckers mm. and make sure that mm. we protect our own. Mm. And I looked up uh, the the backlash and apparently on, online uh, rudimentary research Apparently, and these are only right-wing sites that I found this information on, Dana Loesch was supposedly forced to move because she, there was so much left-wing anger against what she said. Now, mind you, what she said was essentially a, an incitement to war. Mm -hmm. And basically, it said to, to all the gun-owning NRA supporters, mm -hmm. these people are trying to take your country away from you. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do? You going to man up or what? Yeah. So, so uh, you know. okay. So that Go actually ahead. fits in mm. with what I was going to say. So there's there's mm. two ways to look at at all. I mean, there's probably more than two, but it, it, there's two sort of broad strokes that we mm. can come at this issue of mm. uh, moral indignation on the left. Mm. We're talking about the mm. left right mm. now. And mm. I, I, you know, there's moral indignation on the right, and you know, there's probably a different answer to that. But that is sort of the broad sweep of history, and so you have a bunch of non-white men and women really mm. non-white women. I mean, if you want to talk about like a class or a group of people that really have been ignored in American history, mm. black women, Mexican women, mm. I mean, this is mm -hmm. just, you know, mm -hmm. not... Systematically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not strongly represented. Yeah. So if you, yeah. if you want to read the moment as... <coughs> Historical comeuppance, right? So, like the the sort of social forces are are breaking free from the uh, white patriarchy. That narrative yes. makes sense. I don't agree with that, right? I, I actually I think there's a lot of problems with that argument, but but we have to acknowledge that it's a plausible story. That's a plausible yes. story for why. Uh, people are so upset about yes. the state of the world. And, you know, yes. and then the other side of that is we can come at these stories as, you know, what is this uh, person's uh, particular background? How much have they actually uh, suffered? How, mm, how are, which is, which is a, how know, are they argument. placing, like, what sort of guilt do they have in their mm -hmm. own life? <laughs> Mm -hmm. in in the construction of their own identity. They weren't marching in Selma, right? They aren't on right. those buses. Right. Like right. but yet they they want to own that that red badge of courage. Right. And let and let's let let me let me paint the other side mm -hmm. then. So the other side is, you know, the essentially the free market flag waving uh Christian 
America first mm. nationalist kind of conservative mm-hmm. who basically looks at the world as the social world as a, as a place of contest. And I suspect mm. that why the, the so we knew we do need to talk about the technological innovation of the internet mm. because I think and Gren Greenwald's argument in the piece that I sent to you, mm-hmm. which is titled "The Petulant Entitlement Syndrome of Journalists," mm-hmm. gets into this mm-hmm. um, is also a thing. But to stick with what I'm talking about, I think there's a kind of quote unquote, and I'm, maybe I shouldn't quote that. No, there's a yeah, it doesn't need quotes. There's a white settler mentality that I think that colors the conservative viewpoint in the U.S which is mm. that the social world is a place of contest. Mm. And if you are not winning, you are losing, which is why, mm. you know, part of the reason that Trump is so resonant with these people because that worldview does have traction for them. Mm. That is the worldview, right? That if you are not winning, you are losing. It is a Manichaean world. I, I, and I want to say that in those terms, if you accept that premise, if you believe, if you Cotton to that argument, uh, which I got to say, so we, can, we, we can we can I may be open to that as a metaphysical principle, to be quite honest. But uh, that the world really is win, winning or losing? Uh, Are you serious no, no, right no, now? No, 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 no. Not not that the not that the entire world is winning or losing, but that okay. but that well, I don't want to get sidetracked. You finish your point, and then um, I, th- there is some. Um, there is some softness on the left and amongst intellectuals that, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't, I'm not coloring you with that brush, but I'm saying that mm-hmm. argument. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, there is at the heart of cultural engagement mm-hmm. contestation. Conflict, yes. agon, yes. struggle, yes. like yes, ascendancy. But, 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 I mean, th- yes, but 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 it can be productive as opposed oh, I to being. I absolutely think it can be productive. Right, I, here's the right, thing: I want right, to kick their right. ass. This is the thing: like, I want right. to win. I want to defeat their bullshit arguments. Right. So, but I actually right. feel that but, way. Right. No, but I feel, and I do too. But my point in the is in in the way that I'm describing the conservative outlook is that there is no other outcome possible. Whereas I think if you are, and you know this from being married, I think, Travis, mm. and I know this from being in relationships that uh, uh, have been deep and long, that there is contest in them. Mm. But, there, but what falls out is not necessarily just winning and losing. So What falls out sometimes is just knowledge of the other and of yourself. Uh, yeah, so... From a certain point of view, I, I i mean, you can sort of, you can kind of engage at these things at multiple levels, right? So I'm, I'm with mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. in defeat, there can be wisdom and, you know, whatever, mm-hmm, yo- whatever mm-hmm. sort of Yoda thing you want to throw and in I don't, But I don't necessarily think it has to even be colored as defeat. Yeah. Like, just, it's just a thing. Like, you lose an argument, lose mm-hmm. an argument. You, you recognize that the other person has a valid position. And you say yes, I recognize that. Is that losing? So, uh, so I n- n- not in the way that you just characterized it, but I do think 
I do think that in the field of cultural politics and in mm. the field of history, mm. there it is not a mistake to see certain ideologies as incompatible. I I agree. I, I agree with I that. I think, for example, along this lines and, and sort of, you know, let's tether it kind of closely to the the sort of the outrage that that prompted this discussion, what you experienced in the response to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you believe, if you operate from a racial framework as a valid epistemological and moral framework to organize human beings, mm -hmm. you are absolutely under attack in the 21st century. Yes. If you believe yes. that, if that, if, if that is your ideology, you are losing. You, you, you may not be, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, economically, sure, okay, most professors, you know, Fortune 500 companies, all that kind of stuff. But just yeah. like the canary can tell you that you're in trouble yes. before your lungs yes. tell you that you're in trouble. Yes. The direction of culture in the Western yes. world tells white men in particular that they are yes. in trouble. That yes. that, that, priv that, that that privilege position is under threat. If you operate yes. in the world with that framework, you yes. are losing. And you are correct. You are losing. And here's why. Because it's a bullshit ideology. Right. It's wrong. Right, but more than that, not more than the fact that it's a bullshit ideology, because I think we, we live with a lot of other bullshit ideologies. <laughs> yeah, that, that, fair enough. But That's part, true. part of what's happened in the in the twenty, and I think it's a twenty, right, in the twentieth century, is enough people have come together. And I said this actually at a a was it well a get together. And I was about to say party. It's not really. It wasn't really a party. It was a get together at Stephen Forward's house, a friend of mine who. Um, works at the Schomburg uh, Center, or worked at the Schomburg Center, he's now retired from it. Uh, I said that one of the things that I think is a kind of hallmarks of human progress, let's call it, was the moment when the UN, and I don't rem remember exactly what year this is, but the moment when the UN came up with, developed a rights of man or rights of people. You're talking Basically, about the, Universal, the De Universal Declaration of Human Rights? Thank you. Thank you. That was it. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights. What they did in that moment was they articulated a sense of principles which said, outside of any religious uh, and inherited moral schema, that simply by being a human being, you deserve a certain kind of recognition and a certain form of respect. That's astonishing. Absolutely. And what we, right? What we basically said to each other was, no, 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 no. You're here now. You deserve at least this modicum of what we can provide you so that your life isn't complete shit. Mm -hmm. Like, you deserve to have the autonomy of your body. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. 
To say that to a child that who's who's married off at thirteen, you deserve to have the autonomy of your. You have, mm. deserve to have the agency mm. to make choices about mm. what you do with mm. your body. Mm. That's astonishing, mm-hmm. right? And I agree. I think it's a bullshit ideology, but I would go farther to say that things like the universal uh, uh, recognition of a kind of value in humanity has made it less possible for white men to simply say, oh, that's a shithole country. Uh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Right? Right. right? Like, like those, those people don't deserve our countenance, mm. our... Uh, our care. Yeah. Um, so I really do feel like we need to pick this up next week um, uh, because there's so much more to say. Well, I think we, I think we can, I think we can get a, a squeeze a few more minutes in. Um, okay. So but maybe 10. So so you in nineteen forty eight was the Universal Declaration of Human of Human Rights. Um, Thank you. And uh, I so this you know this is something that's near and dear to my heart. I mean this is where I think the left has gone off the rails a little bit. Uh, This was an actual social advancement. This is something that I I buy, I own universal declaration of human rights. I I would enshrine it above every religious codicil. I would put it above every every national national, uh, declaration of what people should or shouldn't be entitled to. So I'm I'm Amen. I'm a hundred percent on board with it. I'm I'm all in on it. The and to bring it back to to the anecdote that you open this up with, one of the things that seems to be missing in civil discourse right now in the United States mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. the belief that decades, centuries of iniquity means mm-hmm. that you don't have to play by those rules. That because white history in America and in the West more broadly Mm. produced such an awful, terrible, heinous history for non-white peoples in Europe Mm. that Mm. therefore it's their turn. It's their turn to get kicked. It's their turn to be shouted down. It's their turn to be silenced. And that is the exact wrong lesson to take. It's the the wrong way to go. Exactly. Because all you do is perpetuate the system of domination. You say that if you are in power, then it's fine to put your boot on the neck of whoever, blah, blah, blah. Um, Yeah, it's a shitty response. And it's, it's an... It's a myopic one. It's one that basically says, I really don't care about what happens to the future. I just care like what's in front of me, what I can see, what I can, what I can touch and feel and, and manipulate. Um, uh, it's a mistake. I agree with that. But, but here's, here's, here's something I want to get to. And I kind of, I want to, I want to relay this anecdote and under, and with the understanding that we may need to pick this up after sort of what eight minutes left right. are done, it's something I heard from This American Life, and it really helped me make sense of a lot of things in my own life. It was several years ago. It was an episode that had to do with couples' relationships, 
the premise of their episode or the supremacy was that the episode they wanted to look at what caused relationships to end and it wasn't they found and they leaned on a particular study that was carried out by I know uh, which uh, please continue I actually know exactly which one you're talking about but please continue right there are a couple of sociologists right who looked at several couples gay straight um different ages la la mm. basically looked at the way they argued mm-hmm. right and they mm-hmm. could predict mm-hmm. whether the gay relationship was going to last yeah, yeah you, I, i'm 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 glad that you know this and i i'm i'm, I'm it, it's nice that you're nodding along because I, it was so profound to me to learn this mm-hmm. that the, pre, the the precise predictor of whether or not the relationship would last was whether when they were arguing they treated each other with contempt or how not. they fought so let's be yep. clear about right how they fought so right so mm-hmm. how they talk so like i'm concerned with how we talk how we, essentially how we fight like how we carry it out mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so let's be clear about what contempt means in this case Contempt, I think, and I don't remember the essay, uh, so, sorry, the episode well enough to remember, to recall what they described it as, but from what I understand, contempt is the articulation of a position that the person you are talking to or dealing with is not worth your consideration. Mm-hmm. That right. what they're feeling, what they're thinking does not ultimately matter because you are so disgusted by them mm. and their presence what they have, what they offer, that it's not worth taking on board at all. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think what you're describing okay. is precisely, I mean, in an intimate setting is precisely what you experienced at that talk or as a result of that talk. Um, that, right. Like it's that, contempt. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. That you, what you have to say is so beyond the pale that uh, you don't need to be heard. Um, and yeah, right. And, and and on the other side of, on the other side of treating one another this way, uh, Mm. is chaos. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it, that's what a relationship that's, I mean, anyone that's been involved in a failing relationship, it's chaos is what it is. Um, you know, when you're, I mean, I suppose, you know, you're failing relationships, you're not really connected or invested or whatever, and, you know, you kind of exit easily or what, uh, but, but for, for anyone that's been in an invested relationship that is ending, um, that those days, those months, those moments, um, they're chaotic. Oh, excruci- they're excruciating. And they're awful. I remember, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. no, no, please. No, go ahead. I just remember a relationship ending with one woman I, I love deeply, Jennifer. Um, and we had gotten to the point where we just, the fights would just sort of break down into just one of us leaving the room. And I left this time and I got into my car, um, which was parked underneath the living room window in the back uh, of, the, of the apartment we shared. And I remember getting into the car to just drive away and she started... She opened, she opened the window and she started throwing the books in the library at me mm. from the window. Mm. Like that level mm. of chaos, that level of, mm. I don't know what to do anymore. Right. Right. It reminds me, the, the thing that it made me think about when you were describing the, you know, um, what leads to the breakdown in relationships and then what you, what you experienced mm. as a result of, of your position, uh, um, 
your your critique of that engagement with uh, the art piece is the W. H. Mm. Auden poem, uh, September first, nineteen thirty nine, when he says, "I and the mm. public know what all school children learn: those to whom evil is done do evil in return." Um, mm. And I mean, mm. you know, we sometimes forget the really basic simple truths of being human together on the planet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, as if any of us have any fucking clue, like where we're going right. or what's right. happening or what led us here. Oh. Um, or even, yeah. or even like who we are in all of that Michigas, right? Absolutely. All that craziness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why don't we, why don't we pick this up? again next week and we can talk i mean it's it's certainly a fruitful area of discussion uh anger and uh what we can do about it as a society as a culture right now in the 21st yeah. century 2018 I, yeah i think that's an important conversation for us to have and i think we need to bring in uh people like glenn greenwald and what he suggests which is essentially that uh the sort of onset of the internet has actually allowed public opinion to proliferate in a way that it had not. It actually allows us to hold elites' feet to the fire. Hmm. And I'm not sure if that's a solution. I'm, 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 not sure that he's, I'm not sure that he's putting it forward as a solution, but I think we do need to talk about that and sort of the, the breakdown of uh, elitism versus a kind of populism. All right, so social media's role in the antagonism between elitism and populism. We can pick that up next week. Amen. All right, my yes, friend. Okay, I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.